jump in and move fairly quickly. Some of this will be familiar language to you, hopefully. You've seen, uh, you, you've heard the Gnostics and the Judaizers. You've heard me explain them to you before. And uh, for those you young men who are going to be with us back in the intern class this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, um, homosexuality and some uh, different types of things in your chapter. Y'all had a long chapter to read before this morning. And so uh, all of this kind of ties together. It really does. And so as we jump in, we're, we'll, we'll get to teaching. And let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for these men. Father, I thank you that you got them up. And I thank you, Lord, that we're here to hear your words spoken to us clearly today. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to uh, study your word in a free country. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Now, that's a tough scripture. I don't know if you've ever looked at that scripture or studied that scripture or that scripture has ever uh, haunted you at night, but uh, it has me because I'm a pastor. And think about this for just a minute. Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Now, how in the world does he not know someone that he created? He doesn't say, you didn't know me. He says, I never knew you. Well, that's for y'all to study this week. I'm not going to explain that. So let's move on. Just kidding. I'll explain it to some degree, right? Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name and in your name perform many miracles? It probably was very advantageous for them to use the Lord's name. And we see that today, that we see a lot of, lot of ministries that um, are built up, or a lot of men and women both that uh, use the name of Jesus. They're very smart, they're very sharp, and uh, they prosper, right, greatly from just using Jesus' name and, and doing things in the name of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that they actually know Jesus. Now, in saying that, um, hopefully... We see God's grace cover our multitude of sins. And today I want to talk about um, being alive in Jesus, what that looks like, and how to have the peace of God ruling in your heart. Because for me, this scripture is something that doesn't bring peace. This is a scripture that brings a warning. This is a scripture that says, hey, you might ought to pay attention. You might ought to wake up. Everything you do is not done in Christ, right? There is the flesh side of us, and there is the spiritual side of us, and know the difference between the two. Um, so, let's talk about this church. This is a church uh, um, that we'll be talking about this morning, the church in Colossae, and it is uh, coming out of Colossians, the main scripture that we'll use this morning, and basically what that church was going through, they had the Gnostics who say that the spirit is good, but the flesh is evil. Today, this crowd would say what? I'm a sinner saved by grace. All right, you've heard that. And uh, some people take that grace to a, a far extent, to what I call greasy grace, Right? And it's not true. As we know, grace is God's ability and power to work in our lives to help us overcome the sin that's in our life, not to excuse the sin of our li- in our lives. Careful when people start trying to excuse sin. I see this every day. I'm in conversation every day. I'll be in a conversation this afternoon where people are wanting to excuse sin. It's not okay. Jesus died for that. Now, for me to say I walk sinless, First John tells us what? I'd be a liar. Um, if we don't have sin. I mean, if we, if we say that there is no sin in us. Now, I'm righteous because of the blood of Jesus, uh, not because of, of 
anything that I've done outside of my belief in him and what he's done for me, right? So we've got to be careful because I do believe in grace. I do believe that we define grace as his ability. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved, not of works that no man should boast. It is by his ability, not your ability. And sometimes it's good to come back. The pastor's class meets this week, and as we get together, we always um, pull together the sayings that are common here at Harvest Amarillo, and one of them is grace, but how we define it is a little bit differently as, as saying that it's not his excuse, it's his ability, right? He didn't excuse our sin, he gives us ability to overcome. And as we go a little bit further, um, these Gnostics, now they just basically say that the flesh is evil, the spirit is good, and there is some partial truth in that, Right? I mean, come on, when you were saved, you, I know some of you. Wait, I don't even know you that well, but just looking at you, I know the road you've been down, right? So, um, I mean, some of you, just your face tells the story. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, so, um, as we go, I'm just picking on somebody. Guys, y'all got to wake up this morning. I'm just hard on people. Wait, I don't know. Hey, but you know what? Um, Praise God for who he is and what he does for us, right? So that's grace. Grace knows that, hey, and, and, and that our spirit, our spirit man is born again at the time that we accept Jesus. Know that and be good with that, but be diligent in that. Don't use that as an excuse, right, for the flesh. If the flesh is just bad, if the flesh is just evil, and in some ways there's truth in that statement too, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said that sin is found in our members, that's almost scary. It's almost like my fingers, my hands, my toes, my legs, my, my arms. It sends in, it, in our members, in our fleshly member parts of our body, which uh, is frustrating, right? Because it leads us to temptation. The Judaizers would be the other side of the extreme, right? They believed that certain laws you needed to keep in order to be righteous. So today this crowd would, would say this, you must work hard to please God and stay in a right relationship with him. So the Judaizers are going to be way over here in legalism. They're going to say, hey, this is legalistic. Um, if you don't do it this, this way. Now, when I say Judaizers, that's, that's not a word we use today. The Judaizers you'll find all throughout the New Testament Scripture. And what you'll find them doing is they're chasing, allow, uh, chasing around the Christians saying, hey, now, now it's not that we can't believe in your God. It's not that we don't even believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah. Some of them would. What they would say is, but... Because God's, today, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then you need to uphold certain laws. And they're not just talking about the Ten Commandments. They're talking about the 216 more laws that they added uh, shortly after the Ten Commandments, the man-made laws, right? And so they wanted to control the movement of God. And this is really why Paul tells the church at Ephesians, Galatians chapter 5, it is for Christ that you have been set free not to be yoked to a yoke of slavery. Because what he's saying is these Judaizers are following you around trying to put a yoke of slavery on you. And that, that looks like today in time works righteousness. You guys know that? And works righteousness would, would say that you have to work your way into the good graces of God. Now, I grew up with that. I've shared this many times, but uh, I grew up kind of with that thought. I don't know how I got that thought. I went to the Methodist church, so I didn't hear the Bible preached. Um, I'm just kidding. I did. Praise God for it. I found the Lord. It's not that he was lost, but um, 
I did find him. He was hiding in the Methodist church somewhere, and I found him one day just going through some of the closets. But uh, I would say this, that, that, uh, that, that what we have to do is, is learn that there is a partial truth in that message as well, uh, works righteousness, because there is the truth that we do what we believe. Uh, those of you who are in the pastor's class, uh, your book this past month uh, was a, a kind of a heavy read, somewhat of a, a difficult read, but you learned about a man who, who really believed that uh, if you didn't do things a certain way with a certain livelihood that you did not believe. And, and you were not qualified to be a pastor if you got up after the hour of 4 o'clock every morning. If, if you got up after 4, you were not qualified, you were not eligible to be a pastor. So um, you learn about these men and you go, golly, they have a drive. But what happens with that drive sometimes is as others look at it, they go, oh my gosh, uh, I'm disqualified, right? Because it looks more like works righteousness. So what's the balance? What's the balance? See, there's not freedom in either one of those things. Um, none of us want to miss it. And at times, I'm sure all of us feel that we are missing the mark. Sometimes our fear, our sense of lack get in the way to our belief. Um, sometimes we go way out on a limb and, and our belief winds up impacting others in a negative way. We can become very strict and look to the law to get us through or we can give up and, and hope that our belief wins out. And sometimes that's kind of how I see this. Sometimes I go, you know what, I'm just never going to make it. Um, I just hope my belief wins out, right? Because when you're trying to work for the graces of God, what happens is you get exhausted. And you all know this, that, that when it's work, it's a wage. So there's no longer a free gift. So there's just so much that goes into this. So let's look at this. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above. Where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God, set your, mind, your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, the more, moment that we're born again, your vantage point begins to change. Now, over in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, you have been seated in Christ, with Christ, right? At the, and then he goes on to say, and then Christ is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So, in other words, we have a different viewpoint. And we need to, to, to know that our vantage point should change. Now you must renew your mind and begin to see life from a new viewpoint. Verse 3 in Colossians chapter 3 says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is a big term that I really wanted to unpack this past Sunday. But if you were here Sunday, there were eight pages of notes and that's after I trimmed them. Um, so we were having to move through the service quickly and through my sermon very quickly on Sunday. But I really wanted us to talk about this for just a moment. See, when your life appears, or, or it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Any of you know what, what that term is? We, we, say it, we say it a lot around here, life-giving, Christ-manifesting. So a Christ manifestation, right, is, is Christ in us manifesting himself to the world. So when Christ appears, we appear also. Now, the opposite is true as well, the way that a, the Apostle Paul explains this. The Apostle Paul takes it a little bit further, uh, and, and of course this is him writing this as well, but <coughs> he reminds us that it is no longer I who live, but who? 
Christ who lives in me. And so what he's saying is, guess what? When, when I show up on the scene, my mind is on heavenly things. And because it's on heavenly things and not on earthly things, then Christ shows up there as well. People will know God, be careful, because they know me. Now, men, how many of us are going to leave for work this morning with that very thought on our minds? That people are going to come to Christ because people are going to have a relationship with me. See, I think so oftentimes we render ourselves powerless because of the physical. Because, because we say, you know what, I, I've, I physically disqualified myself last night just based upon what I looked at. Now, that means you have a problem, right, with uh, pornography or whatever it may be. And so Satan uses that to say, hey, I'm going to disqualify your spirit, man, and you will be ineffectual tomorrow. Now, the scripture is pretty clear here that it does impact our spirit, man. It does. Sexual immorality does do that. And there's plenty of other things that impact and affect our spirit, man, but they don't disqualify the spirit, man. And, and if we walk in this life as defeated instead of victors, then Christ's manifestation will not be seen in us. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 5 this way, that, that our lives are to be a city on a hill, not to hide the lamp under what? Right, the bushel. So we're not, so, but in order for us to let our light shine, then there's got to be relationship. There's got to be things that feed our soul in Christ. Um, getting up in the mornings, man, men, give yourself a pat on the back because getting up and saying, hey, I'm going to go get my light bulb to shine brighter because my call in this world is to be a representation of Christ. That's it. So Colossians 3, he's really trying to pound that into these guys. Hey, hey, listen to me that, that when Christ appears, I appear with him in glory. And when I appear, Christ appears in me for others' purpose, for others' sake. Then he goes on to say in verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. This is the scripture that you have before you this morning. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, when I, I, I'm, I'm going to stop here for just a minute and explain some of these sins. Uh, don't you like it when uh, somebody explains sin to you? <laughs> We're all mature enough. We don't need someone to explain. But let's just look at these. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, in that statement, Paul has a sound theology of this that the old man is what? Dead. So we don't go back and try to resurrect the old man. Um, sexual immorality. Now, let's, let's just talk about sexual immorality today because this is, to me, the greatest sin that's out there, and here's why. Because it's the easiest one to hide. Because of phones, because of electronics, uh, because of computers, because of the web, because of freedom of speech, now, I'm sure not going after freedom of, speech, freedom of speech. I'm very grateful for it. If, if we didn't have it, I might not be standing right here teaching this message. I might be in prison and uh, teaching this message. But, but how freedom of speech has degraded humanity and been labeled as freedom of speech. In other words, let me say it like this. <clears throat> Pornography is not freedom of speech. Speech. 
oftentimes it's molestation that's behind a title of freedom of speech. I mean, we lose 500 kids off the coast of Houston every day that are stolen and sent around the world in order to be videoed at 12 or 13 years old um, in sexual acts. And if there weren't a market for it, there would be no need for the kidnappings that take place. But there's a market because it's a sin that can be hidden, right? And because it can be hidden in the closet, I believe that's probably one of the, the, the most difficult sins for men today. I mean, if, if, you, if you're a drinker, uh, you don't get up at 6 in the morning, 5 in the morning. Uh, this most don't. <laughs> that's what I've learned about them, right? It gets harder and harder and harder to get up. Uh, it shows up. And, uh, you know, I, I used to think I could identify just from a red face, but the older I get, the redder my face gets. <laughs> anyway, y'all pray for me. Um, right? Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. I think all of those can kind of be lumped into really where our culture has gone today. Um, how women dress, how young girls dress, because they're being told, look, Obviously, there's a market for pornography. There's a market for people taking it off. There's a market market for sexual temptation. And so, if that's if that's where I'm going to gain my value, it's easy. Just take it off. And so, we're valuing the wrong things. And all of that's uh, greed runs that market. Um, and then there's idolatry. And greed and idolatry are very closely related in the Greek, by the way. Very closely related. Sometimes I wonder why they chose those two words and kind of pulled them apart. They're different words, but they are very closely related. And one really swings into the other. Um, sometimes our desire for money causes us to be greedy, right? Our desire for things of this world cause us to be greedy. Now, I, I will tell you this, man. I want to stop here because uh, if you're a man who makes a lot of money and you've got a great job and you've built up your business, that does not mean you're greedy. It might mean you're smart. All right, it's it's what has your heart. It what it's what it takes all kinds, from the poor to the wealthy. We're all a part of the body of Christ, and it takes all kinds. Uh, geez, I've I've ministered to men who have said, Curtis, you know, I didn't know my life was going to turn out this way, and I didn't know I was going to have these kind of financial resources at my disposal, and so I I don't know if I should be doing that. And I'm like, well, where are you funneling them? What does this look like in your life? Does does it have power in your life um, to, uh, or can you walk away when the day and the time comes? Um, as you go on, he goes on to talk about the wrath is coming against these things. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all of these things. And, and he has another list, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You know what? The first one to me is the most difficult. The second list, he's saying, all right, you cleaned up some of those on the first. Now look at these. Sometimes if we don't have sins listed to us, we will never put a name to them. <laughs> Let me say it this way. Um, a few years ago, we had a president who would never... Um, Never call ISIS ISIS. 
if you don't identify the enemy, how will you ever take it out? And so the Apostle Paul gives these lists not so that we can walk around and feel guilty over things. He gives us a list to say, hey, if some of these are in your life, target them and let Jesus be the victor in your life. Let his light shine in these darkest areas. So we need to grow up. I, I mean, this, this, some of this, this behavior is childish to all of us. And one of the epidemics today are young and old people who are unwilling to grow up. They just simply won't launch in their faith. Because he goes on to tell us how to walk in freedom. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, when we talk about compassion, that means that our hearts should be turned towards not just ourselves, but someone else. When we talk about kindness, kindness means simply what the word says. Learn to be kind in all situations. Humility, one of the things that we miss when we talk about humility is humility is the ability to learn. People who are prideful know it all, and they're going to tell you what you should think and how you should think and how you should live, and there's no humility. Humility is really continuing the ability to learn. Gentleness and patience. Gentleness and kindness are very similar, and patience is a tough one for me. <laughs> so he lists these out, but he says, clothe yourselves in these things. You need to clothe, you need to put these things on. So men, listen. If you're struggling with any of the former that we just talked about, the Apostle Paul has just given you a remedy. He didn't just identify sin for you. He said, here is a remedy. Here is something that will help you. How about you wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, clothe me in these things. And you may say, well, if he clothes me in kindness, what does that have to do with a pornographic addiction? How, well, how is that going to help me? Well, guess what? When you're kind to others, then you begin to get a heart for others. And instead of seeing those little girls as something to lust after, you might start saying, I've got a kind heart towards them, and that's someone's daughter. I would never want that for my own children. You see, it's amazing to me how when we clothe ourselves with the things that God wants for us, how it begins to change our appeals in this life. Instead of making an appeal to the closet, you really make an appeal to the kitchen table and want to sit there with your family and enjoy them more. That's where redemption begins to happen. He says in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, which is tough, but forgiveness is a part of living free. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ, and he's finally here in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Look, people who are peaceful are attractive. People who are peaceful are Christ's manifestations in this world. You know how I know this? Because he is the prince of what? Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so when we clothe ourselves in these things, we are Christ's representatives, his manifestation to this world. What would it look like if all believers allowed the peace of Christ to, to rule our hearts? How could it happen? 
uh, well, a good way is to just let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. He says in verse 16, let the, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And, and we don't do this anymore. But then he says, um, greet one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I don't imagine me walking up to one of you and saying, um, oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Right? Um, probably not going to happen. Uh, you're probably going to run from me pretty quick, right? Or uh, kumbaya, my Lord. You know, what does he mean, greet one another with hymns and spiritual songs? and those? In other words, look, the peace of Christ ought to be singing in you. The, priest, the, the peace of Christ ought to be your witness. The peace of Christ should rule your heart in such a way that it actually does bring up songs. It actually does bring up hymns. It actually does bring up scriptures. So that when one of your fellow men come up to you and say, I'm struggling in these areas, when the peace of Christ rules your heart and the gospel is alive in you, you have the opportunity to do what? To tell them a scripture, to tell them a hymn. You know, this past week on Sunday, I, I started with a hymn, The Church is One Foundation. Any of you hear that? It's Jesus Christ, her Lord. And I talked about for the church, the cornerstone has to be Jesus Christ. It's all written in that hymn. A lot of times, this to me is, is what the Apostle Paul is saying. When your mind is on the things of God, then, then your heart shows gratitude towards those, and you bear his witness one with another. That's what he's after. See, these attributes are all a form of, of worship, all a form of who you worship and what you worship. And then he goes on to finish it out in verse 17. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, if you want to have peace, learn to be thankful. Learn to be thankful. Learn to be grateful. It's not always the easiest thing, even for pastors. But when we learn to be grateful and learn to be thankful, our hearts begin to change and we begin to clothe our th ourselves with the things of Christ. I'll close this with a word of prayer, and that's all I got for you this morning. Dear Jesus, I thank you, Father, for, uh, um, for the ability to uh, put off the old and step into the new in your spirit and your truth and your wisdom by your nature and to clothe ourselves with the things that your word tells us to clothe ourselves with. Father, give us thankful hearts, give us peaceful hearts so that we can carry that into a world that desperately needs to see you. Let your manifestation be upon us today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.